well, I'm not going to be able to do what I plan to do. <laughs> the Lord does this to me. Everybody okay? Uh, my notes are online, but I'm, I'm probably only going to follow the first part because the Lord is speaking to me. We're living in a really different day. We're living in a day where people are departing from the faith. Can I be honest? And people are going to church but not living what they hear. And then we're also living in a day when the pastors are not preaching the word. They're preaching to the comfort of the crowd. So what I say today may not make you comfortable. I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm not here to get your money. I'm not here to grow a big church. I'm here to be a spokesman for Almighty God. And I say that with fear and trembling because God has to deal with my heart and I have to live what I preach. We're living in a really, really strange day. I had originally planned to talk about the place of faith uh, prior to Jesus' return. I will start there, but I feel like I'm taking a diversion So, um, because there are people here that are walking in sin and you think you're going to heaven and you will not be there. I said this a few weeks ago, many years ago, I heard a pastor, a minister preaching, and he was talking about heaven and talking about the narrow way. We don't talk about the narrow way today. We talk about the broad way because everybody's going to heaven. And that's the belief system of the American culture. 88% of Americans believe that uh, they are going to heaven when they die. They die because God loves us too much to allow us to go to hell if there is a hell. And most people don't really talk about hell today because that's kind of a that's kind of a blot and a stain in some people's minds on the character of Christ and on the character of God. But there is a hell. Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he did of heaven. He said, if your eye offends you and causes you to sin, blot it out. I mean, poke your eye out. It'd be better to go to hell. Go to, uh, go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. And then he said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now he was speaking in hyperbole, which is an intended exaggeration to make a point. But he said it would be better to go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. And so he was really stern with his audience. And again, Jesus wasn't trying to uh, make friends. He was seeking to influence people. Would you agree with that? And so I'm just wanting to obey the Lord. He's talking to me inside. He gave me permission to wait until we did all the festivities here. Uh, and, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute, Lord. Hang on. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man. The, the ways thereof are the ways of death. And what you think is right may be right because the culture allows it. But just because the culture allows it doesn't mean it's right. And it doesn't mean you can continue to do things that you know are wrong or the Bible says is wrong and go to heaven. Now that's where American culture has twisted it. How many hear me? And, and uh, a lot of people are in for it's an awakening. We call a, call, talk about a rude awakening. It'll just be an awakening. So again, I started to say, uh, years ago I heard a pastor say, he said, he said uh, when you get to heaven, he 
He said, you'll look around and there'll be people you're looking for and they, they won't be there and you'll be surprised. And then you'll look around and see people you didn't think would be there and they'll be there and you'll be surprised. And then you'll be surprised because you got there yourself. <laughs> when the Lord does this, it's uh, challenging to my methodical mind. So I'm just going to go with what he's saying to me. Jesus said this in Luke 18, verse 8. When the, this is the last part of the verse. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Wow. I was going to talk about faith, and I'll eventually get there. But today, I've got to go a different direction. Because, see, there are challenges to Bible faith today. How many hear me? Let me say something about the Bible that's somewhere down here in my notes. You know, we're living in a time where the Bible is no longer revered or valued. In fact, it's, no, it's not even as important as some pieces of literature today in American culture. We think it's antiquated, old-fashioned, and that its standards are for a year uh, long ago. But my friends, the Bible is ageless, it is changeless, and it is the Word of God. It is the absolute Word of God. We used to call the Bible the uh, absolute rule of faith and practice or faith and living. But see, we've gotten away from that. So now we have people who attend church and say they know the Lord, but they never hardly read the Bible, much less obey what it's saying. So Jesus said it's one thing to hear the Word, but it's another thing to put it into practice. And Jesus said in Matthew 7... He said, uh, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not just lip, it's life that he looks at. Yes or no? And he said, you know, a person who hears this book but doesn't put it into practice is like a person who builds his, his house on, um, on, on sand. And there's not a firm foundation, there's not bedrock upon which to build the foundation of a house and then the storm comes, the wind blows, the, the um, uh, flood comes and the house falls off of its foundation because it's built on sand. But he said if you hear and put it into practice, it's like building your house on a, a firm foundation of rock, bedrock and he said the storm comes, the wind blows, the rain falls and then of course the flood rises and the house remains intact. And he was talking to our generation it seems. Because uh, Jesus said in that same, those same verses in Matthew 7, uh, 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 narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. When's the last time you heard that? Hmm. Broad is the way that leads to death. You know, uh, years ago, somebody in 1993, uh, uh, somebody gave Susan and I this picture, and we had it on the wall of our house for a while. But it was one of those old pictures I, uh, back from probably the 1700s, a print. And it had a picture of some people dressed in the uh, 1700s regalia, and the women dressed in pretty dresses with hats, and the men all in their festive decor. And they're walking down this path. And as they walk down the path, here's one, here's one way. It, it divides into a fork in the road. And there's one you can tell it's very broad. And a lot of people are on that path. But then there's one this way. And it's very narrow. And, uh, and they were right at the point of making the decision which way they were going to go. And many people today are right there. 
you got to make a decision. Here's the, here's the question before us all. Am I, if I say I'm a believer, y'all listening? If I say I'm a believer, and I, am I going to acquiesce my behavior, lifestyle, and belief system to the culture and what it says is acceptable? Or am I going to go with the Bible? See, nobody's saying anything. Is that true? So what am I going to do? Because right now the Bible is not acceptable to our culture. Yes or no? Uh, it's fashionable in some circles to go to church, but what's not fashionable is to preach the Word of God so strongly that it produces conviction of conscience. I have a podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Can I just talk? I just got to get this out. I have a podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and it took me, I thought it'd be one, but it turned into like three weeks. But I talked about the conscience. We are a conscienceless age. And the Bible says about a person without a conscience, he's like a city in the first century when the Bible was written, or the, or the first few centuries of, the, of, the, um, of this uh, era. Um, he said it's a person, it's like a city without walls, a defenseless, a city without walls in Bible times is a defenseless city because walls kept wild animals out that would harm people at night while they were sleeping and walls would also keep an enemy out and they would have to find a way to breach the gates or the walls of a city uh, to, uh, to overcome the inhabitants. So a walled city was a protected city and see a life that has a wall of conscience around it is a safe life. And the good news is when you come to Jesus, God gives you a very tender conscience. In, in Romans chapter 2, the very last part of Romans chapter 2, he talks about the circumcision of the heart. And see, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of a believer, he puts a desire in us to live like Jesus. And anytime we stray from that path, there's a conviction on the inside that stops doing what that says, stop doing what you're doing, stop emphasizing what you're emphasizing, stop saying what you're saying. How many hear me? I mean, one of the first things when I came to Jesus in 1976 was my words. God dealt with me about my words. I was a prolific, I could uh, use expletives as good as anybody. And I thought it made me feel big and strong, and I thought it would win the accolades of my friends. And I was a, a, a big horse, a big dog. I was tough, and I found out I was a wimp, and that I was yielding my body and my flesh and my person to the enemy. And I was inviting disaster into my life. And disaster happened a couple of times before I came to Jesus. But you see, when I came to Jesus again, and when you come to Jesus, God gives you a conscience. The Bible calls it a circumcised heart. When the Israelites came to, when uh, Abraham made a made covenant with God, he told him to circumcise himself and all of his kin and all of his family and all of their all of the children yet to be born. And that was the sign of the covenant, the old covenant that God had with His people was circumcision. And uh, again, we have a circumcised heart. And what does that mean? That means that means God places His will inside of us. That means when we know we're doing something we shouldn't do, when we're lying, we know we're lying, and we're covering the facts that may harm another person as we're making a business deal. You see, something inside says, don't do that. Be honest with them. You're stealing their money, and you know it, and the company you're working for is taking advantage of them, and the end result of this is going to be tough on them, but this company is going to make a lot of money. See, if you've got a circumcised heart, something inside of you says, don't be doing that. You've got to stop saying that. You'll have to quit your job and find another one. Hello? 
The problem with today is there are doctrines of devils around, and they're strong in the church. You know, I would rather preach my other notes, but here we are. It's not what I want. 1 Timothy 4, 1, and this is in my notes, uh, New Living Translation. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. Now, think of that. In the last times. Now, what does it mean by last times? Times just prior to Jesus coming. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow instead of having the truth. What is a true faith? A true faith is a faith that lines up with the standards of Scripture. If the Scripture says something and I'm living a different way, how many know I'm not lining up with it? Yes or no? So now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. Wow. And teachings that come from demons. Now that's an unusual thought that demons would teach. Wow. And then it says deceptive spirits. Well, is that talking about the Holy Spirit? Is that talking about the angels of heaven? Is that talking about Jesus Christ? Uh, Is that talking about Satan? Diablos, the deceiving one. Don't forget, Lucifer, his name was, light bearer, was kicked out of heaven in the eons of eternity past uh, because uh, because he talked against God and because he committed slander. He slandered God. King James Bible, Ezekiel 28, there's a word that is never word used in this term, but this was 400 and something years ago when it was translated, it's the word merchandise. And if you look up the etymology of the word merchandise in, in Ezekiel 28, that's where I get the word that Satan slandered God before the angels of God. That is, he's so wise. Understand that Satan uh, is a very beautiful person. He doesn't have... Uh, two big horns and a pitchfork. In fact, if he was to come up to you, you wouldn't recognize him. In fact, if he was, to, or he or any uh, demonic entity were to ve- reveal themselves to you, you probably wouldn't recognize it because uh, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, Second Corinthians says, right? So, so, so again, uh, he had the ability to say things in such a way, even in heaven, that angels who were purely obedient to God heard what he said, knew God and understood his power, had been living with God from eternity past, but made a choice to turn away because of something one entity said. Now that'll give you the power of slander right there. And he was so beautiful. In fact, Ezekiel 28 says he was perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found in him. He was the most perfect creation that God had made. He's a created entity. God is not created. God always has been. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Satan was created. He's a created being. And he was the most perfect of the creation of angels that God had made. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, he is the anointed cherub, which is a classification of angels that covers. 
and he had something to do with the protection of the throne of God, and he had something to do with music because it says his timbrels and pipes were in him from the day he was created. And he, was, uh, he walked back and forth before the stones of fire, referring to the holy presence of God. So Satan in eternity past had something to do with the protection of the throne of God. He also had to do something with the worship of heaven. So he loves beautiful music. And he loves that uh, which is um, uh, glamorous and beautiful. And he loves music. How many hear me? And he loves attention. And he loves to lie. So when it says here, they will follow deceptive spirits. When Satan fell from heaven, uh, if you put two and two together, Revelation 12 along with Ezekiel 28, many Bible theologians think that um, as many as a third of the angels of heaven fell when Satan fell. Everybody okay? I've shared all this before, you know. But they fell, and when they fell, the Scripture reveals they fell to the earth. Isaiah 14 is the only other reference in Scripture that talks about the past of Satan and his uh, entourage of of fallen angels. They fell to the earth, corrupted it. It's a big story that I don't have time to get into and won't, but nonetheless, he's been here ever since, and he's been causing calamity here ever since he came. He entered the Garden of Eden when God created the first man and first woman. If you are a person that thinks, uh, that believes in evolution, I, I just want you to know I, I love you, but I vehemently disagree with you. Because if you believe in evolution, you're saying there is no God. And you're saying the Bible is not true. And you're saying there is no false and true. There is no right and wrong. And you're saying that life is not as valuable as God says a human life is. Yes or no? If you say this, what you're saying. So I believe in the Genesis account of creation. And I would question you. Do you believe the Genesis account of creation that God created us from dirt and God breathed into us part of himself, a spirit nature, so we could know him. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. So uh, when Satan entered the Garden of Eden, it was a big garden in the Middle East where God placed Adam and Eve when they uh, came here. Wow. (laughs) Hang on a minute. Uh, And then, of course, you know, they ate of the fruit of the tree. They had two trees they could eat of, and there was the tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, does anybody have an iPhone? Have you noticed what's on the back of your iPhone? Oh, I can't even see it. I don't want to tell you. Who's got an iPhone? That, that's so it sticks on my dash. What's on the back of your iPhone? There's a bite out of an apple. Now, I don't think it was an apple tree, do you? But what, that's, what is that an allusion to? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is that what that is? Isn't that weird? Knowledge. We're all about knowledge today, aren't we? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That's what Paul said in Romans in 1 Corinthians 8, right? But just think about it. He came to the garden, and he was so snazzy in what he said, so convincing 
that Eve heard what God said, looked at what he said, not eat, and did it anyway. Huh? Wow. I don't know about you, but I thought about that a lot. When I was a kid, they'd tell me that little story, you know, as a kid, and I think, wow. I could see Eve going up that tree, you know, and that sure is pretty. And I could see Satan having whatever form he came. Has God said? Has God said? Has God said don't eat the fruit of that tree? You won't die. God said you would die. She said God said we would, I would die. Don't even touch it because I'd die. Now, God didn't say don't touch it. She added. But he did say don't eat the fruit of that tree for in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. And Satan said you won't die. You're going to live. In fact, you're going to be better off. You're going to know things you never knew. You're going to be able to do things you never did. Take it. Find it. Eat it. Come on, look at it. Don't it look like it tastes good? Look at it. Come on. It ain't going to hurt you. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. I was preaching this. My, my, I just told somebody the other day. I was preaching this in India. I don't know, six or seven hours from Chennai. I rode a train where there electric trains to get there. And um, I was in the middle of a bunch of tobacco fields with a whole group of people. And we were having a evangelistic crusade. And I was preaching on this, original sin. And I got to what I was just saying. And I talked about Eve looking at that tree, looking at that beautiful fruit. And the enemy saying, eat it, eat it. Won't hurt you, eat it, eat it. Won't hurt you. And when I said that, a lady in front of me, she was about, I don't know, 10, 12 feet in front of me. She had a sari on. She had a white sari, uh, which is their dress, native culture. About 9 o'clock at night, dark. We had lights. We had a generator. I had a, I could, I had a speaker system, and I was preaching. I was talking about original sin. I got right there. I got right there. Why am I saying this? I got right there. And that lady, right in front of me, she started doing this. I know that looks weird. And I kept looking, and I just kept talking. Y'all, let me say, when I said, when I started talking about original sin, the power of the Holy Ghost fell. I felt it. And it's like it, it grabbed me, and I said, whoa. And then it like it, it grabbed the crowd. You could feel it. And I just kept preaching. But when the power came, that demon manifest. It was a devil. And she started, I thought, this is cuckoo. And I just kept talking, you know, and no kidding. <laughs> she got down on her belly and crawled to me like a snake would crawl on the ground. And then she got up on two hands. True story. This is crazy. She got up on two hands. And she got up on her little haunches there and looked up at me. And when she looked at me, her body was still doing it, and she flicked her tongue. Oh, my Lord. I said, only in India. Only in India. <laughs> and I thought this was crazy. And here's the thing that got me. Because there's a demon manifest. Maybe it's the spirit of Python. I don't know. But here's a lady that had hung out with them. She was with her friends in the crowd. You get it? They all worked in the tobacco fields during the day and then they came home and made supper like everybody else. But I said, do you know her? I looked at the, do y'all know her? And there were several hundred people there and then the women were sitting on, the, on tarps we had laid down and then men were all on the periphery and then we had Hindus 
And we had a Hindu priest there. And they were checking us out, wanting to know what we're preaching and teaching. So I'm just talking about, I'm just preaching the Bible. Original sin. And when I got there, that devil manifest. And I said, do you know her? I said, oh yeah, she lives in our village. I said, huh. Because I wanted to know what to do. And I said, ignore her. They looked at me. And I said, just act like she's not there and listen, just listen to me. The, let me tell you how the devil is. He wants attention. He wants your attention. And he wants to take away from the gospel. And he wants to take your attention away from the gospel. Did you hear what I just said? So I kept preaching. And she's doing that little mess the whole time. And every once in a while, flick her tongue. I know it's nuts. It's just nuts. Uh, and so I got to the very end of my message and I just gave a, gave a call for salvation if you want Jesus. And a bunch of people came up, men and women. And I said, stand right in front of me. We prayed for them. And uh, we prayed for them and, and they confessed Jesus as Lord and we gave them some instructions. And then we sent them back to their seat. And then the guy with me, Bruce McDonald, a missionary, I was traveling with him. Uh, we, we came up to her and grabbed her head in our hands. He grabbed, Bruce grabbed her, and I was right there. And we just said, come out in the name of Jesus. The moment we said, come out, the moment she went limp, every dog in the village started howling. And everybody looked around, including me. This is the most cuckoo thing I've ever been involved with in, in, in my life. She got set free. We prayed for her. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she sang a song. Now, why am I saying that? See, the enemy lies. He lied to Eve in the garden and told her something that was simply not true, but he was so convincing. You hear what I'm saying? He's so convincing that he can make black look white, white look bad, look black, good look bad, and bad look good, and straight look twisted, or twisted look straight. Is that true? He's doing that today. You get it? Y'all, I don't have notes for what I'm saying, and that's how the Holy Spirit uses us sometimes. So again... They will follow deceptive spirits. So here's what I want you to hear. The same spirit that came to Eve and said, eat it, it won't hurt you, is prevalent in America today. Did you hear what I just said? And a lot of people are listening to the lie. Did you hear what I just said? Christians are listening to the lie. Remember the backdrop. Satan called Lucifer in the Bible. Go read Ezekiel 28. Go read Isaiah 14. He's one good looking dude. If he come in the room, you'd be mesmerized. I mean, you wouldn't believe how pretty, he, beautiful, he just outstandingly exquisitely nice. And he's got a way of saying things that is convincing, so convincing, 
that you'll think it's right. So see, that's the backdrop when I read. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. How do they do it? They'll follow deceptive spirits. You see it now? Satan is deceiving. He'll make you think you can do a certain thing and it's okay. Wipe your mouth and just live that way and you'll be all right because you're a special one. There's everybody else, but there's you. Have you ever thought this out? There's eight billion on earth right now. And then add to that all of the people that have lived in history. Have you figured out how many angels are in heaven to take care of all those people? Because everybody's got an angel. Huh? Every time a baby's born, didn't Jesus say it? Don't hurt these little people. Their angels always behold the face of my Father in heaven. Nobody said you lose your angel when you grow up. So think about all the angels. There's lots of them, a lot more than devils. Is that true? Huh? So again, the devil comes to deceive and to delude. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings. Now there it is, teachings that come from demons. I had to slow down because I have just, my my nature is to be fast at everything I do. But I got to slow down. Teaching, I wonder what kind of teaching would come from demons. What do you think the enemy could, could figure out to come up with that would make you think you're okay when you're not? Here's a question. Could he put a slant on the grace of God? that allows the grace of God to cover all kinds of, I'll use the term, iniquitous living, bad living, bad stuff, nasty stuff, under the guise of, well, you know, God just loves everybody. Huh? There's a, a pastor in, uh, I won't even tell you where he's from because you'll figure out who it is. He was well-known I can't say too. I don't want to tell you who he is. I guess I could. wouldn't hurt to tell you, I reckon. I don't want to say that, Lord. Is that bad? Huh? I'm almost ready to say it. Y'all ever heard of Carlton Pearson? Now, you know, that's a sweet man. He was on staff. He was one of the board of directors of Oral Roberts. See, here's why the Holy Spirit's doing that. He was on the board of directors of Oral Roberts University. Y'all know where that is, Tulsa, Oklahoma? I was in Tulsa in the 1980s. I left in 1988. I moved there in 1980 with Susan. We stayed there and had a couple of kids there. And so I, was, uh, I, I got on, on, on staff after I graduated from Bible school. got on staff um, at, at a large church there. You know the story, but... Uh, So I got to know a lot of people, but we had a building, and when I got on staff at that church in 1982, uh, we had 5,000 people in a 1,200-seat building, so we had multiple services, four services on Sunday, and uh, then we sold that building. When we sold the building, moved to another piece of property, Carlton Pearson had a church, 
And he bought the building. And man, he had a lot of people. I mean, that thing grew like crazy. And now Carlton's a preacher's preacher. He can preach the socks off about anybody. And he, you know, Carlton's a good-looking man. He's a good-looking black man. If you saw him, he goes, man, he's a cut above. I mean, he's got it right. His hair is smooth, boy. And he's got the gold in the right places. He's got his shirt hanging just right. He's just a good-looking guy. When you look at him even today, I saw a podcast the other day, and there come Carlton Pierce. I said, well, Jesus, look at here. There's Carlton. He's still a good-looking guy. But Carlton got off. And guess what he swallowed? A doctrine called universalism. You know what universalism says? Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody, not just Christians, but Buddhists and Islamists and Hindus. Doesn't matter who you serve, everybody's serving the same God. And then universalism goes one step further and says, because God loves everybody and everything, even the devil's going to get saved at the end. Now, let me just say that smells like Lucifer. I tell you. Did you hear me? Carlton began to espouse a belief that any lifestyle is acceptable to God. Any kind of sexual uh, yearning is okay. It's God-given. That you can be a Christian and live with your boyfriend, girlfriend, and it's okay. That you can be a Christian and you can be a practicing homosexual. It's one thing to have homosexual tendencies. It's another thing to be a practicing homosexual. How many know the difference? And then you can be a practicing lesbian. Now, again, you can have lesbian tendencies and, 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 and not yield to it. How many hear me? See, this is not popular, is it? But he espoused that in his belief. says, well, he lost his church. He moved downtown Tulsa. He got into an ecumenical movement, and there they accepted him and all. But now he lives in the northern part of the United States, and he still has that belief system. I got on there a few months ago, just uh, searched him out and said, I wonder how Carlton's doing. Well, see, that's sad to me. Unless Carlton changes, he will spend his eternity in the lake of fire. Did you hear me? Now, I'm not exposing somebody. You say, well, you're supposed to be walking in love. That's already exposed. And he already says what it is. You understand? That, to me, is a very sad, sad story. But see, when I read 1 Timothy 4, 1, that's it. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Now, that teaching that comes from demons is strong and large today. Have you figured that out? And the ideology today, and let me tell you what's happening in America. The churches are watering down their belief system slowly, 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 so that anything goes. Now, now, as goes the church, so goes a culture. So do you see what's already happened to American culture? How many of you think it's really exciting that you've got a drag queen dressed up in drag showing their hiney? to kids and twerking. Do you like that? Is that acceptable? It is, is it acceptable to have books that kids can take home with pictures of how to have sex? 
Where does that come from? Doctrines of devils. Do you want your children to be that? Do you want your children to grow up with that ideology in their head? That any kind of sex goes that I never need to be married to become a sexual person. Do you like the idea of your children becoming sexualized as a kid, baby? I mean, four years old, five years old. Do you like the idea? If you like it, do nothing. Because that's where the enemy's taking the U.S. of A. And that's where the world is going. Now, as a pastor and as a man of that book right there, that's doctrines of devils. Do you agree with that doctrine? Can I go a step further? I'm not, trying, I'm not asking anybody here to like what I'm saying. I just want you to hear me out. You like the idea of having sex anytime you want to have it with anybody you want to have it with? You like that idea? Do you do that? Are you having sex outside of marriage? Do you know somebody that is? Ask yourself all these questions. Do you, do you know somebody who says there are Christians doing that? Huh? Huh? I do. Huh? The Lord spoke to me while we were in prayer in the back. Is there people in the room today talking about it here? They're having sex outside of marriage, and they know it's wrong, and they do it anyway. Because their conscience is twisted by Lucifer. Doctrines of devils. Yes or no? He went further and told me there are people involved in lesbian behavior in this room. And homosexual behavior in this room. And you may be watching and you're doing that too. What you need to know is the love of God is sniffing your trail like a, like a beagle dog <laughs> sniffs the prey. And God loves you deeply. You need to know that. And he's asking you to change your ways. How many hear me? Doctrines of devils are strong today and it's in the church and it's sad to me. Most pastors won't get up and say what I'm going to say because they're going to lose half the crowd. And you know, I'm okay if you don't come back next Sunday, but I want you to because I'm just going to preach the word to you. Is that okay? I just got to be real that we're in a really plaguing time, a difficult time. And that even churches and a lot of pastors, unless Jesus is really squeezing their heart with his love, they're not man enough to say what needs to be said. Somehow God give me a crowbar for a background or a backbone. You know what a crowbar is? It's what you tear apart houses with. And I don't care what people say or think. So right now, doctrines of devils are strong in the United States of America. The biggest problem is in America today is sexual sin. And there's rhyme and reason to it. And I didn't mean, I don't even know why I'm getting off into this. But listen, the reason that that's such a problem is it tears apart the family structure. Hmm? And, and if you don't have marriage and the ideals of marriage and the long-term effects of marriage, that is people don't have 500 sex partners, they got one. 
and they got one they're committed to for life. See, if you don't have that, then you have no way to pass ideology and morals from one generation to the next. You have no, listen, you have no family history. You get it? You have no family history. If you don't get married and you're just like a dog or a cat and you got offspring all over the place, did you hear me? There's no morals. There's nothing. What happens? In the future, you lose. You lose your prosperity. You lose your blessing. And then someone else comes in and rules you from without because you chose not to rule yourself from within. Now, what I just said... What I just said is the spirit of Antichrist. How many know that Jesus is coming? I was praying this morning. And when I pray, the Lord speaks to me. And when I was praying this morning, the Lord said this to me. And I think I spoke it out if you were in the back room. Let me get it in my Bible. I have my Bible on my iPad. I don't think that's a sin. Do you? If you do, I'll pray for you. Look, I'm sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you're looking so eagerly for is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. That's the Lord of hosts in King James, New King James. This is New Living Translation. But who is able to endure it when he comes? It's talking about the second coming of Christ. Uh, Who will be able to stand and face him? When he appears, for he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. The thing that separates God Almighty from all other foreign gods of history is one word holy. Everybody say holy. Now, the Hebrew word for uh, holy, kavod, uh, K-A-V-O-B, it's, it's pronounced D, and it means weightiness. There's a weightiness to the presence of God that fills the atmosphere and affects you. In fact, I was just reading this week. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible. I read through it every year a lot. And I'm reading in the book of Exodus, and here's Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he's standing in front of God, and... Uh, and God's talking to him, giving him all the instructions on the tabernacle and the temple and the priesthood and all that, the law, the sacrifices, all that. And, uh, and Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he didn't even eat any food, and nothing says he drank water. He was supernaturally sustained by the presence of God because God is life, God is life. When he came down off that mountain, nobody wanted to talk to Moses because when he, when he got come down, his face was glowing white. And they were afraid of him. Go read it. And he had to put a, a sheet of cloth over his face because nobody could, nobody could look at him. He's the only man that I know that saw God face to face that way. Now, why did I say that? God is pure. Impurity will not touch him. Impurity will be annihilated by his presence. Did you hear what I just said? Huh. So see, when Jesus comes back, he's coming as a refiner's fire. He's come as a, comes as a launderer's soap. 
I like that. What does that mean? Cleans you up. His presence is so pure that when he comes to you, everything that is not like him, you feel it. And it challenges you to change. How many hear me? So if you're going to a church, you're listening online, you're in the room, and you're going to a church that doesn't preach the word of God in a very strong way, but they teach doctrines of devils that anything is okay. It's an innocuous message of blessing and peace and wonderment and love. What is it not doing? It's not challenging the devils that want your life. And right now, the devils are loose in America. And they're loose on college campuses. And now they're all over elementary and middle and high schools. And now they're all over our communities. Yes or no? And now if you're going to be a pure person, you're only pure on purpose. And you probably ain't going to do it. Ain't gonna, you know, can I talk that? I'm from South Carolina. So I say, ain't going to do it unless, because you can listen to that, right? You're not going to be pure unless somebody who has the purity of Jesus is living in you. And when that stuff tries to come to your life, it expels, it pushes it away. Huh? Perish the thought that any person in this room would go to hell. Perish the thought. Two times before I came to Jesus, and you know, um, wow, some of this is kind of hard to talk about. I don't know which way, Lord, you want me to go. But, uh, you know, I just wasn't living right. I was 14 years old smoking pot. And, uh, man, reading pornographic novels at 14 years old. Got filled with lust. Smoking pot, I uh, had a reaction to the, I was in the bathroom with my best friend. And, um, Took one tote, held it in my lungs, and went blind. Now, that'll scare you. I've talked about this a bunch. It, I mean, it scared me, y'all. I was going to church three times a week because I had to because my parents forced me to go. It wasn't about forcing. It just wasn't an option not to go. I'm going. You get it? I'm going. You know, and, uh, and then we had revival meetings in the Baptist church. I'd go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. And then smoke pot in between. Okay. So when I went blind, y'all, I saw my body. I could still see it. I saw my body on a gurney with a sheet over it. And it, I thought I was going to die that day. And I knew enough about God to know there is an afterlife. And I thought I was going to go to hell. I thought. Y'all, if you've ever been there, that's, I'll tell you, I, I don't have words to describe what that feels like, but that is a horrible feeling. I thought that day I'm going to hell, I can never get out. Where Jesus said, the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. I said, my God, I'm going to die before I've even lived. What am I doing? And I cried out while I was blind. I said, God, if you just get, get me out of this. I quit smoking pot. I quit. Oh, God, I don't want to die. And, and I, don't, I don't want to go to hell. And somehow I got over that one. And uh, I spent, I was uh, 
what class did I have? I graduated high school when I was 16. I was 15 going into senior. So I was a junior when this happened. And uh, oh, one of my classes, a science class, I, I laid my head on the um, I laid my head on the desk the whole time and somehow got over whatever I had ingested. And God gave me a chance. You know, second time was I was in church. I just I've said all this before, but I need to say it in context. Listen, I was in church. So you can come to church and be, be in sin. And that's where a lot of people in America are today. Uh, going to church doesn't anathematize you to the consequences of doing wrong. Yes or no? It doesn't. No, so I was in church on the back row. I had this pretty girl that I was dating that I wanted to marry. I just thought she was pretty, prettiest thing in the world, you know. I'm 16, and uh, this is July 20th, 1975. And, um, and uh, we were in church, and we had stayed up late, went to Carowinds the day before, so I got, I got home at 3 o'clock in the morning after taking her home from Carowinds. And then my parents made me go to church, so I got up early, and I went 14 miles to her house, picked her up, and brought her to my church, and we're both nodding in church. And so here's the pastor, good Baptist pastor, and he, he had a priest to serve. I don't even know what his message was. He stood up, and he gave an altar call like they do in Baptist churches and said, you may never have another time to get right with God. You may go to hell today, pointed his finger. And so I'm on the back row, and I'm thinking, mm, okay, I've heard that before. And I felt like, you know, I'm not right with God, and I need to get right. And I had quit smoking pot, but I wasn't right, and I knew it. And uh, I held on, and I'm thinking, if I go up there and give my life to Jesus, this girl right, girl right here, this girl right here never talked to me again. She, she won't be my girlfriend anymore, and she sure is pretty. So I held on to the pew. He gave the altar call. I got in my car afterwards, you know, and the deacons are smoking their cigarettes on the front porch. I'm not making that up. You know what I thought? Hypocrites go to church. They say they know God. They act like everybody else. And sometimes that's true. And see, that was a wrong judgment on my part. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? So I got in my car. I'm, you know, I'm five minutes from church, five minutes. And, and the girl is uh, laying on her head. She didn't have her seatbelt on, bad idea. We had a bench. I had a 1968 Chevrolet Bel Air. That's what I was driving. And it had a real big engine in it, so it could really run. So anyway, uh, she was laying her head on my shoulder. And I'm doing 50, I looked, it's 55 miles an hour, and this is a really slow car in front of us. And she's asleep on my shoulder. I said, well, I'm going to pass that car and keep going. And right, you know, once I pass it, then there's a curve, and then there's a four, a, a, a road, a, a two-way stop. I didn't have to stop. The others did. So I, I looked, and I was doing 55. I went around the car and then come back in. And right when I got to the intersection, two-way stop, a car didn't stop for the stop sign. And it was a, it was a, a Volkswagen. We called him Spud when I was little. In fact, it was a Spud Magoo. means it was red. We played, y'all ever heard that? You have to be my age to know what I'm talking about. Anybody heard that? <laughs> and it hit me on the back of my car when I came into the intersection. I tried to slam on brakes. I was doing 55 because the speed limit let me. It hit me and then hit the, the front of it hit me, then the back hit me and catapulted me across a ditch. 
and my head hit the roof. My girlfriend, who did not have a seatbelt on, hit the window, and the window became concave, and she almost went through it, but she didn't, and fell down. When I came to, when I came to, she was laying in the floorboard with her head on the seat she was sitting in, and blood was coming out of her mouth, and I thought she was dead. And, and, and in the millisecond, the few seconds all it take to have the wreck, you know what I saw? I saw my whole life like in video form right in front of me. I, I don't know what that is. You don't ever want to see that. And I didn't know God, and I wasn't ready. You understand? I wasn't ready. And it scared me, y'all, it scared me. And I saw that preacher said, you may never have another chance to get right with God. You may go to hell today. I, I heard all of the expletives I used in my language, the curse words. I, I saw things I had done. I saw lies I had told. I saw things I had stolen. I saw things I did that were wrong. I saw myself lusting after women. I saw it all in, vi all in a, like a video form. And then I came to myself and saw I wasn't dead. And y'all, I said, oh, God. That's getting pretty close. That, for me, is too close for comfort. Do you hear me? Now, I was praying in the back. Everybody okay? I was praying in the back this morning. I don't know who you are, but I kept hearing this as I was praying. My spirit will not always strive with man. I kept hearing that phrase. And I know it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me about somebody in the room. I don't think you're online. I think you're in the room. You know God. You want to know God. You've known God, but you're not walking with God. And you think you're okay, but you're not. And you may not have another chance to get right with God. You hear me? Just like that pastor said to me, you may go to hell today. Well, see. 1 Corinthians 6, I think it says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. The idea is to run to God as, as long as you got an opportunity. When you're young, you think you have your whole life in front of you, right? Now, I was young. I was uh, 16 when that happened, 14 when I had the other experience. But you just think you got the whole life. You think you're, you know, anathematized from hurt and pain and death, and you're going to live a long time. That's just what you think. But how many know that's not true? Huh? So today in American culture, come back to where I was, Doctrines of devils are loose in America. And people are anathematized to it. doesn't matter to them. They can go to church just like I did when I was a kid. doesn't matter to them. They just keep on sinning, just keep on. Well, it'll be all right. Friends, at some point, life is going to change. What if something happened and you weren't able to get right with God? How many hear me? So, anyway, everybody Okay. Not nearly where I thought I'd go. Not nearly. Let's go back. So just listen to this again. Everybody okay? They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no one in any way deceive or entrap you for that day will not come. What day? The day of Jesus' second coming. Will not come unless this is the Amplified New Testament, unless the apostasy comes first. That is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. Hmm. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, the Antichrist, the one who is destined to be destroyed. So uh, I need to burst a bubble. 
I'm going to say this, and most Americans in uh, most American Christians believe uh, that the that the rapture is going to happen. We're going to be whisked away before all this bad stuff happens. Most Americans, I, I hear it, and now and now on podcasts all over our nation, I keep hearing, "Well, the rapture is right around the corner." The problem I have with that, if it doesn't happen when they say it's going to happen, a lot of people are going to be real upset particularly when the Antichrist appears and the one world government uh, puts its claws on everything you are trying to force you uh, to comply. And that's coming. Did you know that? The great reset that equals the one world government. I don't know who's going to control it. Nobody knows who that Antichrist is, but it's obviously some world ruler or leader. And I'm telling you, it's coming. They're going to try to control you through your money. And if you want to eat, you got to do this. If you're going to get, if you're going to, if you're going to pay your bills, you got to do this. And my friends, it's coming. And you got to be willing to say, I won't ever acquiesce to what you think or what you believe. And not very many people are going to do that. Most Christians will say, okay, whatever you say. Because that's how they live. Did you hear me? So that's what he said right here. Did y'all get that? I just want to make sure y'all still with me. Do you want me to quit? Can I talk a little bit more? I'm looking at the time. Let no one in any way deceive or entrap you for that day of Jesus coming back will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And then he uh, explains that Greek word for apostasy, which is apostasia, that is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. What would cause a professed Christian to abandon the faith? Well, if you're going to eat, what would you rather do, eat or die? What would you rather do, be on the street or in a pup tent somewhere in the, in the forest or paying your bills? What would you rather do, ride a bicycle you got or ride in your car? Huh? What would you rather do? And uh, so the day's coming that our securities will be gone. And we're going to be forced, unless our government changes. Our government right now is right toe-to-toe with this ideology of one world. Did you hear me? And, and see, nobody, I don't understand why people aren't talking. Some people are talking about this, but most aren't. And my question is why. So I'm a realist. Uh, again, I'm going to stand before God one day, and, and I don't want him to say, could you just explain to me why you didn't cover those passages of Scripture with your people? I can't handle that. I'd rather Jesus to smile at me than you smile at me. And it ain't, and again, no, no, no. no it, ain't, it ain't about me. It ain't about me. See, I just got to obey God. I'm, I want you to go to heaven. And today is just simply a warning that there are lots of things against you going there. And there are demon spirits that are trying to trip you up and lie to you. You don't know how many people over the years I've talked to have believed a lie. And they believe they can walk with God and be involved in sin. And you simply can't. How many know sin hasn't changed for thousands of years? Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. But today, it is not that way in the world. And so here's where the... um, Here's where the big persecution's coming. Did you know a huge persecution's coming to believers? I'm just about done. Y'all know where it's coming from? It's, it's coming from 
the LGBTQ population and the woke ideology. And if you don't agree with that, they're coming after you. And they're going to shut your business down. And they're going to shut your mouth. And they're going to lambast you. And they're going to say all kinds of things about you as a pastor and your church. If you don't comply, we'll take your 501c3. I don't need the 501c3. If we've got to pay taxes, doggone, we'll pay the taxes. But I'm not about to shut my mouth just because you don't like what i got to say. And... They put me in jail, I preach in jail. Huh? So what kind of convictions do you have? Are you willing for people to call you names and to leave you alone and not be your friend anymore and to unfriend you on Facebook and Instagram and blah, blah, whatever, Snapchat, whatever? Are you willing to say what needs to be said now? You can't even say hardly anything. Facebook will just take your tail off. Well, I got something to say to Facebook. But I can't say it. And YouTube will take you off. You know, I'm shadow banned. Have you figured that out yet? Did you know I don't even get my own stuff on Facebook? They won't show it up. I've been shadow banned. We've been reprimanded by you. I don't care. I don't live to YouTube. I live for Jesus. In fact, there's lots of other places you can watch videos if you want to see us. And I'm about ready to change. We're living in a really strange time, y'all. And I'm telling you, you need to get right with God. So the bottom line of all that I just said, if you're not right and you know you're living wrong, you just don't know how much the Lord loves you. He has such great compassion on you. Did you know that? He's not a meanie. He's not a mean person. He's just holy. He's just holy. And he just can't be around unholiness because it would fry. And he just won't be around people that don't want to live right. Not because he doesn't love them, because his countenance would fry them. They would die immediately. You remember the Ark of the Covenant of the Old Testament? And they were carrying it from one place to another. They had it on a cart, and they were supposed to be carrying it by their hands. And the cart hit a, hit a hole, and, it, and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, it almost fell on the ground, and a guy reached out and grabbed the Ark, and one of the deals of the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God was in the Old Testament. And all like us, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But they were under the letter of the law, and I mean, it was tough. Uzzah, this guy named Uzzah, went out and touched the Ark. The moment he touched it, he drops dead. Well, you say, God killed him. No, 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 God didn't kill him. He touched holy, and he wasn't holy. You get it? Nadab and Abihu, they had really strange names in the Old Testament. Hello, Nadab, let's go get some lunch. How about Abihu? Well, you know, they offered strange fire before the Lord. The priests had to light certain candles and such, and there was a fire that God lit with his presence. And they had to get their fire from that and transfer it to whatever they were going to use. Light the altar, light the sacrifice, light the candles. Well, they got there. They said, we don't need God's fire. We'll make our own. Where's your lighter? And they lit the fire. And they were killed. Why? Holy meets unholy. And holy dro- unholy drops. See, that's, that's me and you. So let me just say it uh, in my crazy way, if you're living in a way if you're living in a way that is not holy 
whatever that means, whatever that means in your life, and you die that way, you won't be going to heaven. So, so let me end. Can I end on a positive note? <laughs> the positive note is this. Again, God, how many know God's just got a boatload of love and grace and mercy? So you got a couple of more. Everybody okay? Okay, I, I just want to read this. Listen, I just love this. Jesus is telling a few parables. I'm going to end with this. This is my second closing. Tax collectors, other notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. See, even people that didn't know him, they listened to him because they could tell he loved them. Not that they were living what he said, they just wanted to hear it. Uh, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them a story. A man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he calls his friends together and his neighbors say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So here's what you want to know. You're watching online, you're in here, and you're not right with the Lord. Here's what you need to know about God. His eyes on you. And he wants you to repent of your sin. And he wants you to come. All these people are here to know Jesus. He loves all of us too, but his eyes on those that don't know him because it doesn't want him to go astray. That's, the, that's, the, that's what Jesus, and then, or suppose a woman, he says, had 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. I guess the coins were valuable in those days. You wouldn't even look for a penny if you drop it today, right? In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Wow, isn't that awesome? So what you got to know, carry away from this is, you say, Pastor, I'm living wrong. I'm some of them people you're talking about. Well, you know what? God's got a lot of mercy for you, and he loves you. You know, when I had that car wreck, even though I saw where I was and what I was doing and I was away from God, I knew that God loved me. I knew. But his love wouldn't keep me out of hell. He just loved me. And there when I was uh, in that bathroom in school and, and I went blind, I literally went blind and, um, you know, everything was dark and my friend was, you know, putting his hand over my face and I couldn't see it. I could feel the wind in his hand. But I didn't feel, couldn't see it. Um, but I, I thought he was whispering. I thought he was shouting at him. I said, quit shouting. He said, I'm whispering. I'm whispering. It was just weird. But even there I felt God loved me. Even though I knew if I died, I'd go to hell, I knew he loved me. And this, that's what Jesus is saying. God loves the one that doesn't know him, that is away from him, he, and he's searching for you. And, and then lastly, uh, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him a story. A man had two sons. The son told his father, I want a share of your estate now before you die. I want my inheritance. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He pursued a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry, wow, that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Wow, wow. But no one gave him anything. You ever been in a, where pigs live? Uh, two things. It's nasty. 
and it's smelly. Yeah, I won't go there any further. When he finally, um, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home he even hired servants, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I'm here dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. See, he thought his father was here. What you doing? Where you been, you big bad boy? Come here. I'm going to spank you. No, no. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to, his son, to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he was ready to be a servant. But... But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals on his feet, kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. The son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Wow. See, 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 that's the attitude God has towards me and you. You know, even if you're a believer and you, you put your foot in the mud, you repent. And say, God, I'm wrong, and I know it, and I don't want to be there. Help me get my foot out of this mess. Help me to get out of my sin. You get it? That's the way God is. Now, bottom line is, if you know Jesus, when you go out these doors, the last thing God wants you to do is be quiet. He wants you to tell people about Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing for people to say, you're one of them? Are you willing to say, "Uh uh-huh? Huh? If one of your friends is in sin and you know, and they say they're a believer and they're living in sin and they know they are, I'm sorry. I'm stepping on Pete. You can step on mine too. <laughs> and, you know, and they know they're wrong and you know they're wrong and God wants you to say something. Are you willing to say something? Are you willing to say something? Yes or no? Are you willing? Well, people are getting up and walking out. I must have preached too long. <laughs> I'm just joking. Are you willing to talk? Is the problem in America. We got four walls here, and this is where we do our Jesus stuff. Jesus wants you to do his stuff outside these doors. Yes or no?